Hey, everybody. Thanks for being with us as we close out the week in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 18, making our way, and um, a, a parable today, another parable of Jesus, uh, a Luke version of the parable, which is um, a, not an easy one, uh, not mm-hmm. not disturbing necessarily, but not not one of those beloved parables that everybody knows and knows what to do with. This is a kind of a, a little bit of a head scratcher. Let me read it for you, then we'll then we'll see what we can find in it. 18, verse 1, then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while, he refused. But later, he said to himself, though I have no fear of God nor respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me. I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming back. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the son of man comes... He will find, will he find faith on the earth? So the the first thing and, and maybe the most difficult part of this parable is we have said um, more than once that generally speaking, when you encounter the main character of a parable, um, particularly if that one is listed as the father, the master, or one with authority, that character represents God. I would argue that this is one of the exceptions to that rule. Um, The problem with that logic in this parable is that you make God an unjust judge. And and I don't think that that would be language that Luke would be comfortable with equating for the primary character, the God character in a parable. So this is simply a story about a woman and a man, and their connection to one another is that the man has authority to grant the woman's plea. He has not yet done that, and she persists coming to him over and over again. And he, I I love the language, Michael, he says the same thing said about him. I don't fear God. In other words, I'm not doing this because it's right, and I'm not, I don't care about people. I'm just thinking she's going to bother me. She's going to beat me into submission. And so then the judge grants her request, and Jesus uses that story as a springboard to talk to the disciples about, and Luke gives us the exact verbiage, their need to pray always and not to lose heart. And the this is the trouble with making God the judge in this story, Michael. It makes it sound like if you just wear God out, yeah. even if God doesn't want to listen to you, eventually you can wear him down and and have your way. And, I, and it seems relatively clear that's not the lesson Luke's trying to teach. Well, yeah, but let's dig into that here, Clint. Why does that seem relatively clear? Because if you were going to pull this out and you were going to study this, maybe you found this video, you searched Luke 18.1, you're here, we're glad you're here. Uh, 
if you think that this eight verse section here is its own thing, then you're going to believe that this is a teaching about prayer specifically. You're going to look at this and say, well, isn't the easy takeaway here that the point is pester God as long as possible, be faithful in praying. Uh, if you do that, then you're going to get what you want. Well, that would make sense if you only read eight verses. But if you read the things that came before, if you stick with us through the entire book of, or, or sorry, chapter 17 here in Luke, you're going to see that there's been this much longer theme of God's vindication, of God's justice, of God's righting the wrongs of the world, of God's upturning and overturning the systems that are and, and inserting uh, a new kingdom into the world. This is, of course, the entire uh, book of Luke, but we've seen these themes already in Jesus's confrontations with the Pharisees. It's not the people with power, but it's the people without the power that God's going to lift up. And so, Clint, when you look at a text like this, you have to recognize the importance of the characters presented. You have a person of power, a person whose job is to administer justice, and you have a person who's seeking justice, a righteous person, a, a person who fears uh, uh, who, well, who um, is seeking uh, that which is owed to her. And the person's persistence is ultimately the thing that will bring that justice to bear. And that is the overall theme, I think, that Jesus is teaching through this parable. It's not that the way to get what you want, like a mail-order prayer campaign, is to just be persistent, and then you can pull down blessings or riches or health or whatever the uh, situation or moment you're in is. No, this is about the people of God who are resolute and persevering in their trust of God and their supplication for justice and their commitment to justice and to doing the right thing and being part of the kingdom of God. These people will be rewarded when in the end they'll be part of that just kingdom. And I think that that's what you see happening in a text like this. And if you misunderstand its context, it's going to take you someplace entirely different. I think that there are clearly parables where Jesus makes a comparison between a character and God. We saw that in the parable of the prodigal son, right? The, the father is the God character, and the father longs for the son, and he runs to him, and he welcomes him back, and he is gracious and merciful, and, and then he has words for the older brother. In other parables, it's a parable of contrast, and, and I would argue that's the case here. This judge ends up doing the right thing because of a woman's persistence, how much more then, essentially, says right. Jesus, can God be trusted to act on behalf of those who are righteous, on behalf of those who are seeking justice? Um, will he delay? No, he won't. I tell you, he will quickly grant justice. And when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And so I, I think the, it, I think it's very helpful, Michael, this idea of read the beginning of this section and the end to interpret the middle. The, the beginning says, pray and don't lose heart, be persistent. And then at the end here, will the Son of Man find faith on the earth? Will, will, will Jesus find people who have hung in there and persisted in their prayer and not given up? And and God can be trusted to um, hear and and care about and act on behalf of those people, even 
even an unjust judge does the right thing sometimes, how much more will God do the right thing? And this is a theme I do think we've seen in Luke, maybe not called out as much as some of the others, Clint, is the idea of the value of Christian persistence. I, I think that has been there, and I think it is only going to become magnified because, as you may know, Luke is part one of of two books which go together. You have Luke and you have Acts, and Acts is ultimately the story of the church living out that perseverance, living into that faith that Jesus Christ will soon be returning. And so, these words are not, I don't think, abstract, Clint. I don't think that this is some kind of uh, imaginary spiritual teaching. I think that this is a very practical kind of lesson that you know that in the secular, uh, faithless world, that even bad people end up doing good things because ultimately they just give in and at the end of the day, they think it's in their best interest to, to just, you know, I'll give justice because it's going to get this woman off my back. How much more so if you are faithful and persistent and you are committed to your faith and you you live that out over the long run. And by you, I, I think not just you individually, I think we, the church, are in, in view here. That if we are faithful one generation to the next, then that will ultimately be the thing that the Son of Man will find upon that return. This idea that the the persevering ones, the passing on of the faith, that this is the thing that matters. And that if we are committed to it and we practice that kind of persistence, that that will make a difference. And that that will be the kind of thing um, that will leave a lasting kind of um, impact on the kingdom. And I... I want to move on here, but just before that briefly, I, there is a concession, I think, here that's important. Luke is acknowledging, in as Jesus does, that there is an element of the faith of waiting. There is a, a grinded-out, hang-in-there kind of aspect to the Christian faith. Uh, the Christian faith is not one that promises immediate results and everything we want all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. It is not uh, It is not a, a system that says, hey, come and get whatever you want and you'll get rewarded instantly. It, th- there, is a, there is a season of persistence. There is a season of waiting. You know, wh- what does it say here? That his, um, they cry out day and night. Um, his chosen ones who cry to him day and night. There is assumed within the faith moments of longing and moments of persistence and moments of hanging in there when things are difficult. And God can be trusted with those moments. I think that's ultimately uh, the takeaway here. Let's move on. This next one is uh, much easier, also profound, but uh, much simpler. He also told them a parable to some of those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and others they looked on with contempt. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you. I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all of my income. 
But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up toward heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Uh, Sometimes we talk of Jesus preaching as reversal, the great reversal, the upside-down kingdom. And here we have such a wonderful, clear example of that. You have a Pharisee and tax collector, and in Jesus' day, that that's a that's a criminal and uh, you know a senator. It's a whatever it is. There's a, a massive gap between these two, morally, socially. Um, in terms, even religiously, we could say one is clean, the other is unclean. And the Pharisee is impressive. I mean, what he says is impressive. I, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income, but that's a disciplined person, right? But he begins his, he, his lens is to look favorably on himself and unfavorably on others. And you have, by contrast, this man, the tax collector, who recognizes his sinfulness who won't bring himself to look up to God, but he simply says, be merciful on me, a sinner. And then Jesus gives the reversal at the end. I, I tell you, that's the one who went home justified. And um, Michael, this is, I, this is a beautiful parable. It's a wonderful story by Jesus. Luke does a nice job with it. Um, this is one of those parables I think people do remember. Um, we, you know, it, it, it's one of those that's pretty hard to make you choose. We all like to think we're the one standing off saying, I'm a sinner. But, but there's a warning here for, for the moments that we think too much of ourselves. There absolutely is a warning here. This is actually one of the parables that I think there's some disagreement, functional disagreement between Christians on how to read this. Because if you read the Pharisee as representing Judaism and representing the old way, the law, the the kind of binding statutes, and, and that it's contained to that, then I think Christians can kind of offload the challenge of this text. And we can say, yeah, Jesus is criticizing those legalists, and it's those people that Jesus is calling to account. We're people of grace, that we've received this good news, and you know, so so ultimately, the, the critique doesn't land on us. This story is for us. We're the tax collectors, the the Gentiles, the people who've been given grace and didn't deserve it. Uh, that would be one way to read the text, and I think that forecloses and misses on much of the force of the text because the Pharisee. This all boils down, Clint, to what you uh, had said. And I want to point this out here, verse eleven. Um, this idea uh, that I. Uh, twice a week I'm fasting, giving a tenth of all of my income. This is a person who is giving a factual account of doing the things that would be looked up to as the highest bar of the expression of faith in that day. And so I think a far more troubling interpretation of this text is that this today could be read as a very, very stinging critique of Christian legalism, the idea that we who live with the highest bar of, of faith practices, that we who are seeking to go to church, read our scriptures, pray the Bible, trying to be connected in service opportunities, trying to give of what we have, that if you can put a check mark next to these things, 
then you stand in position of being questioned like the Pharisee, that, that the temptation might be that it becomes for us the actions that are justifying and not the humility, confession, and repentance. And I think, I, I want to be clear, Clint, we are called as people of faith to these spiritual practices. As Pharisee was sure. doing nothing wrong sure. in practicing faith in a meaningful, sustained way. Um, I go back to just a couple minutes ago when we were talking about the idea of persevering in the faith. You have to do the work, and the work takes time. That said, we have to hold intention. On this hand, we have the calling of being Christian and all of the things involved. On the other hand, the very literal next parable is Jesus saying, it is never the stuff that will save you. It is never the practices that are the point. It is always the reminder that we are indeed at the center sinners. We are always those in need of grace. We are always those who need to return to humility. And if we can hold those two things, doing the work of faith, remembering that it, that work is all about instilling and practicing and returning to humility, then we're living in the full force of, I think, these these texts in conversation as opposed to reading them individually and, and, and honing in on alternate points. Yeah, I, I think... The warning here for Christians and for Christianity uh, as a whole is that any practice of the faith that leads us to self-affirmation is inherently flawed. Any approach to following Jesus that leaves me patting myself on the back for how good that I am it, it is broken. It, it is, it's not of Christ. Um, it, it is the one who humbly approaches God out of gratitude and hope and grace, not out of confidence and, and self-assessment. And um, that's, that's just, it's just so crystal clear in this parable. This parable is not long. It's probably, I mean, there's, it would be very hard to misunderstand this parable. It asks troubling questions. It's not easy in its interpretation, but to just see where Jesus is going here, this is this is about as clear as parables get. And notice that uh, this is not the point of the text. This is so far from the point of the text. I want to make this clear, but I, I think there's an interesting anecdote that could help us. Um, this is not a teaching on prayer, but I do think there's a, a, a short lesson on prayer in here, Clint, because notice that the Pharisee uh, is practice in fasting and praying. And, you know, th this is in a very short sentence, still an eloquent prayer. You know, thank you for all of these people I'm not. And this tax collector is not in any way eloquent. And yet these words are the most powerful words. God be mercy to me, a sinner. You may not feel like an eloquent prayer as well. You may not feel like you always have the words to return to God. And this is not a, a text with a lesson about praying, but but I think when you see these characters, the heart of prayer is ultimately honesty with God. And I think that that's a thing to uh, truly reach for in our own spiritual lives is may we be people more and more vulnerable and transparent with God in an honest and authentic way so that the what we say to God is more and more reflective of what is true of our lives. And if that's happening, friends, then you're growing in your prayer life. That That's the kind of prayer that Jesus is lauding in a text like this. Yeah, this isn't a prayer parable, but no. 
if if you spend the bulk of your prayer telling God how good you are versus seeking and celebrating God's grace, uh, you, it, your prayer needs work. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's yeah. I mean, I, I it's not a prayer parable, but it certainly says something about it. Whether it is the first parable or the second that uh, hits you today, I certainly hope there's something both challenging here as well as encouraging. And I hope that uh, you certainly will share this with others that you think uh, might help or that this might be a help to them. Um, we would love if you give this video a like, helps others in their own searching for studies like this. Subscribe to stick with us as we go through the book of Luke and other books like it. But friends, until we see you again next week, be blessed. Thanks, everybody.